So you've heard uh, me for four weeks in a row, and um, you will not hear me today. Uh, yay! Yeah, it's been a great week for me. The surprise I have for you is uh, one of our very, very dear friends, a guy who's been around Scum since the very beginning, helping out in and out uh, of the preaching schedule, uh, at least, you know, once a year or so, and a man who is in my life on a weekly basis. I don't know if you know this or not, but I met Les Avery back in like 97 or something. I don't know, somewhere around there. I remember because uh, he uh, was turning 68 years old that year, and he was bicycling back to Ohio for his 50th high school reunion. So, yeah, Les is quite unusual that way. Other people were showing up with their, their walkers and their canes, and they said, Les, how did uh, you get here? He goes, oh, I rode my bike. And they go, what kind of bike do you have? Thinking he would say a Harley or a Honda. And it was a, Cer- yeah, no, anyway. He rides a Serata. Um, anyway, uh, Les is 82 uh, this year, and he and I have uh, walked together for all the years in between, uh, there have been times uh, when the word of the Lord came directly to me through Mr. Avery. I can't tell you how grateful I am for his presence in my life. He is a father of mine in the faith. Please welcome him and give him a warm round of applause. My friend and yours, the Reverend Lester Avery. Hello. I want to direct your attention to 2 Corinthians. And I want to read for you from the 16th through the, uh, well, through the end of the chapter. And so now, uh, hear the word of the Lord. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ. God was reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting them with the message of reconciliation to us. And so we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake. 
He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. As Michael uh, shared with you, I'm a cyclist. Um, I've cycled north, south, east, west across this country. Uh, I don't say that to impress any of you, just to say that I know something about trash. When you are on a bike and riding across uh, the highways of America, you see all kinds of things you never notice when you're in a car. Trash everywhere. Mattresses, you know, dirty diapers, food wrappers. Anything that anyone wants to get rid of, they seem to throw out the car window. And it, it seems to me, as a cyclist who has, in my old age, become aware of the beauty of this land, how good God was to give it to us, and then how we'd disgrace it with the way we treat it, with the trash we throw at it. I got to thinking about trash and... Uh, I got to thinking about another kind of trash, the, the people in our lives who we trash, who, who, we, who, we, who we throw on the scrap heap because for whatever reason, we don't approve of what they've done. We, we don't like necessarily, maybe even the way they dress, the way they look. And so we trash them. Some years ago, uh, a friend of mine who was a pastor in Kansas called me. Uh, He had been in my youth group. Um, It's intriguing because many of the folks who were in my youth group all those years ago, well, we won't go there. Would you visit my dad, he said. He's uh, at St. That's one of the problems of getting old. What's what Anthony's Hospital, yeah. He's dying. I can't get there. Would would you go see him? And I I said, Aaron, that was his name, uh, you know your dad never has had any use for me. I mean, he's made that clear, made it clear when he was well, and I was your youth pastor. Oh, you know, I'm sure he's changed. Uh, would you do it for me? Not that That's the trump card, isn't it? You know, do it for me. And so I must confess with some trepidation, and actually quite a lot, I made my way to St. Anthony's Hospital, and... Uh, was directed to his room by, in a beautiful way, a woman who I didn't realize worked there, but was a member of the St. James Presbyterian Church where I had was pastoring at the time, was there for 22 years in Littleton, Colorado. 
And she uh, went in the room and said, John, you, you, you're, a friend of your son's is here. He, he wants to talk to you. And John was in bed with his eyes closed. I walked over to the bed and I said, John, do you remember me? He opened his eyes and uh, a look of recognition crossed his face. What are you doing? He screamed, hiding behind that full beard. I had a full beard at the time. Your mother never raised you that way. I hear you got a divorce. The divorce had happened 30 years before. Get out! Oh, wait a minute, John. I just came to... Get out! I remember. I'm going. And the nursing staff came running because she started screaming, Get out! Get out! Get out! And I got out. He died within 24 hours. And I was cast as one of his last deeds in this life upon the trash heap. He had no time for me. And so I guess I want to ask you, who have you thrown upon your trash heap? Who do you have no time for? You know, it's not a, a question that you shouldn't face. I know families, sons who have no time for their parents, daughters for their mothers, brothers for sisters, children estranged. It's almost epidemic. No time, because the person hasn't acted the way you thought that person should act. I remember uh, the first time I pitched somebody on the trash heap. Her name was Rosa Marie Miller. I'll never forget her name. Rosa Marie Miller. Some of us think that uh, sin doesn't beset us very early in life. I was in the sixth grade. And Rosa Marie had a crush on me. But Rosa Marie was a, a hillbilly. I lived in Ohio. She came to Ohio from Kentucky. And back in those days, we called them hillbillies. If you don't want to deal with a person, just label them and forget about them. Once you label, liberal, conservative, black, white, Republican, Democrat, good, bad, you don't have to deal with them anymore. You pigeonhole them. And I pigeonhole 
Dear Rosemary, she was slightly cross-eyed too. I say that to my shame. And one day, because she traipsed around behind me everywhere, dear Rosemary, I looked at her and I said, don't you understand you're nothing but a hatchet face? Called her hatchet face. That's troubled me all of my life. I'm now 82. It still troubles me. I wrote a story about Rosa Marie, and they published it in my local little town paper in Wellington, Ohio. It was titled, I'm So Sorry, Rosa Marie. It was precisely at those times when I look at my own life and get honest about trashing others that I come to this incredible passage in Second Corinthians. Where do you see Paul tells us that God in Christ has reconciled, and I want to say recycled, I need to be recycled. I need to be taken off of the trash heap, recycled. Reconciled us to God through Jesus, that that's what he's done for the likes of you and the likes of me. He's He's reconciled us. I um, checked the dictionary for the meaning of the word reconciled. And this is what I found out. To make anew. To return to previous stage. To restore. To bring back, to coexist in harmony. And it strikes me, and I don't know how theologically correct this is, that's what happens when you recycle. You take the trash and you make it new. And Jesus does that for us. When we're willing to be made new. When we're willing to be made right. And listen to this. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin. To be sin, Son of God, to be sin. For us, that in Him, get your arms around this if you can, that we might become the righteousness of God. <laughs> righteousness. Again, my dictionary tells me that righteousness uh, 
is what is just, honorable, free from guilt or loss. And synonyms for righteousness are virtuous, noble, moral, ethical. And so I ask myself, could it be that unworthy me, yeah, I belong on the scrap heap of, of life, just might be the touch of God in the life of another as I best I know how act honorably, virtuously, nobly, morally, ethically, and yes, catch this, maybe even when I don't act honorably, righteously, or nobly. Some years ago, uh, when I was still at St. James, uh, Elaine, you know, in every church there are those who uh, can hardly wait for you to resign and leave. And then there are those that are absolutely certain that you walk on water. Fortunately, there are a whole lot of in-between people who kind of put up with you. Well, Elaine was one of these who thought I walked on water. She said, oh, Les, she said, I have a friend. Her name is uh, uh, Ethel, and she is in a nursing home in Westminster, and I'm, this is after service one Sunday. I, I want you to go visit her. Well, Elaine, why would I want to visit a friend who I've never met of yours who's ancient and old? Sometimes when you're young, you think about people who are old as ancient, and then suddenly you're ancient. And it's like, uh, it's payback time. Well, she said, uh, Ethel hasn't eaten for several days now, and she just wants to die. And, and no matter what we do, we can't get her to eat. And I just know if you would go and talk to her, she would, she would eat. Oh, man, what a setup. Well, I said, Aline, I can't do that. I, I don't have that power. And she said, uh, here we go again. Do it for me. We pastors sometimes are the consummate pleasers. And so... Uh, Monday came, I didn't go. Tuesday came, I didn't go. Wednesday came, I didn't go. Thursday, I thought, she's got to be dead by now. I'll go. <laughs> I arrived at the nursing home. I walked to the nursing station and uh, I said, I'm Les Avery. I'm Elaine's. Oh, you come. I couldn't even get out. I'm Elaine's pastor, you know. We have been waiting for you, and here you are. Let me, one of the nurses said, take you down to, uh, to Ethel's room. So she walks me to the door, and uh, the door's closed. She knocks on it, and the nurse's aide who's in there comes, and the nurse says, I'll be at the nursing station. And the nurses, after having said to the nurse's aide, this is Elaine's pastor. Oh, she said, I'm so glad you're here. I mean. 
I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Let me prepare, Ethel, she says. She swung the door. You wait here, she said. So I'm in the hall, and the door is not quite closed. And I can hear what's going on in the room, though the nurse's aide doesn't know that. I hear her walking over to Ethel's bed. Ethel, you won't believe who's here. Elaine's pastor has come to see. I don't want to see him. Now, Ethel, he's a very busy man. He, I don't know how she do that, I mean. But, and he's driven all the way from Littleton to Westminster to see you. I said I don't want to see him. You're going to see him, Ethel, whether you want to or not. (laughs) So I hear the heels of her shoes clicking on the linoleum as she makes her way over to the door, swings open the door and says, with a big smile, come on in. I'll be down at the nursing station should you be anything. And I'm thinking, what in the world am I supposed to say, do? And suddenly it hit me. I walked over to Ethel's bed. Her back was to me. Ethel, I said, uh, I understand you want to die. No song. Well, Ethel, I've come to pray that you might die. (laughs) She looked up at me. First time. You would do that, she said. Yeah, I'll do that. Oh, she said, I'm I'm so relieved. She said, you know, I've wanted to die. I've made my peace with the Lord a long time ago. I'm just looking forward to heaven. Well, then let's pray that you might die. I said, give me your hand. I took one hand. I said, now lift the other to heaven. And I... Prayed as an elegant of prayers. I knew how Lord let her die right now. Take her now. Just, you know. She's ready. You've done it before. Let her go. I bent over and kissed her on the forehead. Walked out of the room. But I didn't go past the nursing station. (laughs) I snuck out the back way made my way to the car and drove back to the church and avoided the lane for as long as I could. Then suddenly one Sunday, uh, there, there's a lane right in front of me. What did you say to that woman? Oh, here it comes. When was her funeral is what I wanted to say. <laughs> I said, I, before I could get it out, Elaine says, you know, you couldn't have been gone for more than 10 minutes before she rang the bell and ordered her first meal. And I thought, all she wanted was somebody to take her seriously. All she wanted was somebody to listen and not to dismiss her longings. And not knowing it, I had done it. My motives were mixed. They were anything but pure. 
I didn't want to go. This was not a noble act. And yet, believe it or not, God used this unworthy person to bless the life of an old lady who just wanted to die and wanted somebody to take her seriously. You see, um, reconciliation has everything to do with grace. God was in the world. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Catch this, counting men's women's sins, not counting them against them. And then he has committed to us this ministry of reconciliation to the likes of you and me, or, or, or the ministry of recycling. I kind of like to think of it that way, too. We are therefore God's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. We implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And so, we're to accept people as they are. To rescue them, if we can, from the trash heaps of life that they put themselves on, or we put them on trash heaps of misunderstanding, of unforgiveness, of poor self-image, of prejudice, of self-loathing, physical disability, old age. I'm an old man now. I know something about old age discrimination. I preached earlier this summer in Elbert, Colorado. It's a tiny little town. Way out on the plains. Some of you may know where it's at. About 40 miles. There's a Presbyterian church. It sits on a hill there. It's been there since the Civil War. In fact, uh, the original wooden foundation that church still sits on. Thirty people or so gather there each Sunday, and it's a highly structured service. They even have a choir for people. They don't call it a choir. They they don't call it a quartet. I mean, in the bulletin it says choir. And I sat there as a 95-year-old woman, was one of the members of the choir. And I learned later that her daughter was another member of the choir. Her granddaughter played the piano. Her great-granddaughter turned the pages as mother played the piano. They had all grown up and Albert. And as I listened to her sing, the choir, I found myself strangely overcome and fighting back tears. 
in my heart there rings a melody. I mean, this, this they rehearsed once or twice before the service. There rings a melody in my heart. There rings a melody. There rings a melody of love. Here was a, a lady that, uh, like myself, if I auditioned to be in any choir, they would say no. She, she wouldn't be fit to sing in a choir at any church I pastored. We were too much into performance. You know. But God used that dear woman. I looked into her eyes as she sang, and she was singing the melody of love. The melody in my heart. That's what she was singing. Was that Jesus in me? As I prayed that Ethel might die, even when my motives were mixed and anything but pure, was the old lady in Albert who sang, who was uh, off to him, was somehow incomplete, insensitive, self-centered me, even as I listened to her hearing the melody of love. And then maybe it hit me. It's not the instrument. It's the music that comes from it. I want to watch, have you watch this clip. One person's treasure is another's violin in this slum built on a landfill in Paraguay. Here in Asuncion, a group of young musicians come together to play everything from Beethoven and Mozart to Frank Sinatra and the Beatles on instruments made entirely from trash. The Orchestra of Recycled Instruments from Katera got its start here five years ago when a teacher, Fabio Chavez, decided to teach kids living near this garbage dump how to play musical instruments. Lacking money to buy enough instruments, he recruited the help of residents who make a living picking through and recycling trash. Soon, with the community's help, Chavez and his students had their instruments, all made from recycled materials from the dump. They include guitars made from cans, cellos from metal drums, and brass instruments like 18-year-old Andre Rivera's saxophone made from house gutters. The instrument is made of galvanized pipe used in house gutters. Then this is made with caps, coins, and these are keys from doors. Chavez said he started the music group to keep the children out of trouble. There are a lot of drugs, a lot of drug use, alcohol, violence, child labor, a lot of situations that you wouldn't think are favorable for kids to learn values. However, they have a spot in the orchestra, like an island within the community, a place where they can develop these values. We see that they are not just changing their own lives, but those of their families too. We've seen cases where parents with addiction problems have quit taking drugs to go to their kids' concert. And in a lot of cases, the parents have gone back to finish school because their kids are being seen all over and 
they think they are going forward, I want it too. They are not only changing their lives, but the lives of their families and their community. Miriam Cardozo said she once dreamt of being a singer or musician. When she heard about the music program, she enrolled her 14-year-old granddaughter, Ada Rios. I went to sign her up. I didn't care what my daughter-in-law said, because I was doing it for my granddaughter. And if she got mad, let her get mad or deal with it. And then they were astonished, because I signed her up and it happened. And now my granddaughter is fulfilling my dream. It makes me so happy. That is why I can die happy. Ada, now a violinist in the orchestra, lights up when she talks about her experiences, including performing in three countries this year. The people can't believe it. They have to see it to believe it, because they don't believe it is trash. I've been to three countries, Brazil, Panama and Colombia, and I never thought I'd leave the country. The orchestra hopes to perform in Arizona in 2013. Now the clip we showed this morning, they actually played, and then the music was just overwhelming. It said, I believe, of Jesus in Isaiah 53, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with grief, one from whom others hid their faces. He was despised, and we held him of no account. That's not the picture of Jesus that I grew up with. Uh, I grew up with a picture of a Germanic, blonde-haired, blue-eyed man. So maybe it's not the instrument, but the music the instrument plays. Maybe it's a little of both. Because, you know, Jesus, I believe, was in the business of playing the melody of love. I'm not talking about uh, music as we understand it, but I'm talking about the melody of love in the heart. If you want to hear the melody of love, you've got to listen for it. I'm talking about the heart melody. And the person, and with this I'll close, who taught me most about listening was a man who some of you know, Dr. Vernon Grounds. He was the president of the seminary and later the chancellor. He died several years ago at 96. And in the end of his life, I became one of his best friends because all of his other friends had died. I wasn't one of his best friends when he was in his 40s. But your friends die when you get old. And I remember visiting him one day, and uh, I, I was always puzzled by this man because he, he seemed to, no matter who you were, center on you. You could be the most hardcore fundamentalist in the world, living in a black and white world, having all the answers, and Dr. Grounds, Vernon, just listened.
You could be a, a wide-eyed liberal in the eyes of uh, others from the seminary uh, had betrayed the faith. And dear Vernon would just listen. I remember one day, last days of his life, sitting in his home, pulled up a chair. We just put our foreheads together. That's all. And I, I do remember saying, Vernon, do you ever feel like a chameleon? He, he looked confused. I said, I do. I mean, I know how to play the game. I, I was raised uh, as a hardcore fundamentalist. Uh, I, I, I know how to play the game with the most... I'm a CPE supervisor. I know how to play that game. That, that doesn't mean much to any of you, but I've been in the world. I know how to act when I'm with Republicans, and I know how to act when I'm with Democrats. You just don't say anything. <laughs> and everybody thinks you're on their side. I said, Vernon, you ever feel like that? Because I do. A chameleon. He said, Les, maybe it's wisdom. I do know this. That this man taught me something about listening. That he was able to enter the world of everybody and just listen. And I want you to hear this carefully. Understanding does not mean agreement. But he understood. And he just, he didn't have the need to change you, to talk you into something else. He just knew something about presence, and in that he knew how to sing like no other man I think I've ever met, the melody of love. I think that's about it. Amen.